Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot. Each episode, I bring on a different business leader who's doing some great game-changing work. And this week, I'm so glad to have uh, Natasha Mitha, who is the founder of the Rethink Pink Initiative and a kick-ass marketer. Let's talk about her incredible journey, how she's got to be where she is, and learn some of the really awesome things she's been up to. Take a listen. Hey, Natasha, how are you? Hey, Laura. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, I'm delighted to have you on. I know you have an amazing story, and I'm so excited for you to finally get to share it with us on the world. So, as a podcast always starts, the same question is always the first one, and I'm sure your answer is going to be great. So, <laughs> what was your first job? Oh, wow. So, my, I mean, if you really want to hear my first job in high school, I was working at Mandy's at, as a floor <laughs> lady. Um, <laughs> I was a floor salesperson. That was a summer job for about three months. Um, it was miserable, but I did it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I really give props to folks that are, um, you know, on the ground every day because that, that was really tough. I dealt with some really interesting, some really difficult folks, um, while I was working there from a customer standpoint. And I, yeah, it was, it was quite the summer. <laughs> I always say that folks need to, everybody needs to work in retail at least for a few months in their lives to understand how to deal with all sorts of people. Because no matter what retail it is, it brings out the most insane people ever. <laughs> like, for the yeah. most random yeah. stuff. Uh, so I, I forget it. But you do learn something out of that because you're like, mm, never doing that again. Also, how to deal with people. Because if you can survive and not have actually killed anybody in, in the actual store, yeah, it's taught you some patience. So it's a good thing. Yeah, no, that's true. I definitely learned a lot of really important, valuable, lifelong skills in just those three months. And so I wouldn't take that experience away for anything. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was really interesting. That's, <laughs> I think that's a, the best way to, to really describe it. Awesome. Okay. So we go from nightmare on, on mandy street uh to uh your current awesome career so what was that journey like how did you get to be having a chat with me sure so you know i've been really involved in the e-commerce landscape digital landscape really from the beginning for my first internship during college i was working at one of the first digital agencies media agencies beyond interactive um and then i really just continue that path from there. And so went into the media world um, as a digital media buyer and planner um, at Initiative and then went back to school to get my MBA um, on the West Coast. And from there, that's where it really jump-started my e-commerce career. I joined Amazon in 2010, um, leading uh, marketing for or content marketing in the mobile electronics space. So I was up in Seattle for a few years. And if you can imagine, mobile electronics, you know, over 10 years ago was really interesting. That was it's on GPS navigation. So I was working with TomToms and GP and uh, Garmin's of the world, um, as well as MP3 players. So iPods and Sony's. Um, it was an interesting time <laughs> in the mobile electronics space. 
Um, and then I, I moved back to the East Coast, where I'm from, to join Samsung and product marketing for Galaxy tablets. Um, that was really exciting for a couple years to focus on product marketing. So I was on the other side of the coin, um, no longer from the retailer standpoint, but on the brand side, working with retailers. So ironically, Amazon was one of our largest customers that I was working with. Um, so it was really interesting to see, you know, two sides of the business um, right after another. Um, yeah, and then, you know, my most recent uh, role and how, you know, Laura, you and I connected was during my time at Boxed. And so I joined Boxed, which is the online version of your wholesale shopping club, very early on, um, exactly seven years ago. And I think I was employee number 24 or 25. Um, it, it was insane uh, to be at such a small organization startup at that time, but I loved it. I loved being able to get my hands dirty and be scrappy and really build something from the ground up. And so, you know, seven years at a startup is, is quite the journey, um, but such a rewarding one because I was able to really help scale the company to over 250 folks today um, and then see IPO go through at the end of last year, which was amazing and, and so incredible. Um, and, you know, I re was really able to build a, a family and a career, um, a family with my box employees and a career uh, you know, during my time there. That's so awesome. Okay. I am, I am actually shocked we haven't met before this because in the early 2009, 2010, I was all in the mobile marketing space. I worked for a number of like the big, well-known mobile marketing agencies, doing lots of programs with TomTom Tom and all that stuff, but like so much so that I think I was a member of the Mobile Marketing Association. Um <laughs> Cause like it was, it was such a crazy time. When I think about how that was literally 12 years ago and how it was in its infancy then about what you could do, um, versus what everything now is just like, Oh, I can just literally tap and go and it'll take me to directions. And like my phone is my GPS. Right. Um, yeah. to where it was back then where it was like, okay, everything is about like the short code and how you can get people to sign up for different things. And also selling ringtones and that whole universe, like <laughs> the world's changed so much in such a short like, window of time. I look at that now, like that was like yesterday, wasn't it? No, yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like decades ago. I mean, it feels like yesterday, but it was decades ago, and that's insane. <laughs> so you're at so you're at Box, and then you do something really awesome while you were there that you didn't mention yet. Yeah. Um, so after a year of joining Box, I started really looking at our pricing. A, I was really interested and I was learning a lot about pink tax and the tampon tax during that time. New York had just repealed tampon tax. And I didn't even realize that my entire time in New York, it's been almost 20 years now, I had been paying sales tax on period care products like pads and tampons. These are essential products that I buy every month, and I had no idea that they were taxed. And so I had been learning a lot about that, and then I started looking at the pricing for some of the items that we sold on Box, um, and very quickly learned that a lot of our prices for women's items cost more than their male counterparts. 
So these are products that we receive and costs that we receive from manufacturers, but products like razors, shave gels, deodorants. In some cases, a disposable women's razor would cost over 108% more per unit than the men's version by the same manufacturer. And so, yeah, how insane is that? (laughs) And so I, I was flabbergasted. I did not realize that this was an, A, an issue and B, still an issue back then in 2016. Um, and so I brought this up to our CEO. Um, Fox was founded by four male co-founders and they also were completely taken aback by realizing that, you know, a lot of these, these products that are targeting women cost so much more than their male counterparts. And so we very quickly decided to launch what we called our Rethink Pink campaign. And so within two weeks, we discounted those products that cost more for women than for men, as well as discounted period care products to offset the sales tax. We obviously cannot remove sales tax because that's state by state, but we can offset it through our pricing. And so we were able to launch that campaign in 2016. We became the first U.S. retailer to do so. And we continue, Box continues to really focus on that initiative until it's no longer an issue, until no states uh, charge sales tax on period care products and until manufacturers really correct a lot of their pricing. Well, I mean, this is the thing that blows my mind. It's like the cost of being a woman is so high. Right. I'm like, what? It blows my mind because obviously the current climate is bananas (laughs) when it comes to women's rights and accessibility and obviously the Supreme Court decision and the attacks on women's rights across the country. Um, and female identified people as well, uh, as, as all, uh, all together. And I'm just blown away that one, you were able to get this done. <laughs> and yeah. two, like, obviously, what was the one thing that you wish could, more folks could understand about why this is so important? I think, you know, creating that exposure and awareness around this was, so mind blowing at this time because probably, you know, in 2016 when I would have this conversation with my network or my friends, maybe one out of 10 folks knew about the pink tax and that they were paying so much more than, you know, the male version or that they were even paying sales tax on these items. Like I didn't realize that until I saw that New York had repealed it. And so I think that was, you know, so eye-opening in the beginning when we launched this was really, A, increasing that communication and awareness around this issue and really coming to realize how many people didn't know that this even existed. Yeah, I think it's it's just there's so many, again, little nuances every single day that women have to go through. And, you know, it's funny, I was watching the new reboots of A League of Their Own this weekend, and one of the things that, like, you know, obviously touches on a lot of different subjects, but one subtle moment that was really interesting 
um, that I thought found to be so unique because it was set in like the early 1940s. And it was that the main character, who's the coach of the team, who's now who's a woman, when her husband finally comes to visit, she's like, here's the money, because I couldn't open a bank account without you here. Wow. And that was in the 1940s. Yeah. And until the 70s, I think, was women couldn't get a credit card without their husband. Right. And think about the systemic issues as to why we're in this insane moment right now with Roe v. Wade and not banning contraception and all this other stuff where you're like, are you just reverting back to the 1800s? It's like right. this, like our, you know, the cost of being a woman has only shrunk a certain amount in the last 50 years. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. I mean, women are not receiving equal pay, right? That we have not yet solved for that, but yet they're charged more for essential products, right? That they're purchasing every day. And so it, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, Honestly, we were doing our customer base a huge disservice by charging them more. 70% of our customers were women. And so we really were able to pass that savings back to them. We were, we passed over $2 million worth of savings after launching this initiative back to our customers. And just think about how much more women are spending and then, and essentially paying more than their male counterparts. For, for some of these products. It's, it's just absolutely insane. Well, I think of whenever I go to the store and I go to buy a razor, and I'm like, why is it $14? <laughs> exactly. Like, look the same as the male razor, except it's pink. And yeah. I don't care if it's pink. I want it to work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, agreed. I, yeah. You know, I, I think that the good thing is that, you know, in the past six years since we've launched this initiative, we've seen a lot of change. We've seen a lot more states introduce bills to repeal tampon tax. I testified in three of those states that went on to repeal test, uh, tampon tax, um, which which was amazing to be part of. But now it's so much, you know, so much a part of conversation, um, whether that is pricing inequities between women and men's products, or paying sales tax on tampons and pads and now also diapers. Um, that has, has really become a bigger part of the conversation as well. And so it's really incredible to see the change. I, I think when we had launched the initiative, 35 states had still charged sales tax on these essential products. And today that number has, has gone down to, I think, 28. And so change is happening. It's not happening quick enough, but it is happening, uh, which is, which is incredible to see. Um, but then you hear about, you know, other countries that have taken really large steps to tackle this problem. Canada as a country nationally repealed the tampon tax in 2015. India, Australia, we just learned this year that Scotland is providing free period care products in the entire country. And so there is change that is happening across the world. I, I just think, unfortunately, the U.S. Is, is far behind and there's still a lot more to do. Why do you think we're so far behind? Like, what is it? Like, 
do we? Th- is it just a societal structure of things, or is it kind of like what I was saying earlier that literally women have not been full citizens for more than oh, fifty years? Yeah. No, I I think that's it. I mean, it's it's not just this issue in which we're you know really lacking. Um, it's, it's everything: paid leave, uh, again, equal pay. Like there, there's so many issues that are outstanding that just have not been addressed. And I think it's also, you know, more women in positions of power to speak about this. And when you have when you have the mic, you use it in your best way possible. Um, and that's constantly amazing work that you were able to do. And and so with that, you started when you started Box, you were employee number twenty four. And when you guys went public there are two hundred and fifty of you. What made you stay and grow uh, through an IPO at a tech company? Because I think this is a story that many women don't talk about, and I think it's important for folks to understand the complexities of it all. Sure. You know, I, I think, A, I was, I was given autonomy to really uh, lead and launch teams. And so during my time there, I launched and, and really built two separate teams. I joined as head of retention, and I then launched a completely new team um, leading CBG brand partnerships. And so I really, I think, you know, really being able to, to have the autonomy um, and the independence to, to do so. Um, and then, you know, aside from that, being able to have the capability um, and the trust to launch something like the Rethink Pink initiative was incredible. I, I couldn't have imagined during my time at Amazon to go to Jeff Bezos and tell him that we need to do something about pink tax. What can we do? <laughs> and that he would actually support an initiative like that. And so I think it speaks volumes in terms of the leadership at Box that they were able to take a stand on something that not only their employees cared about, but their customers cared about. Um, and we were able to see the results of that just, you know, in terms of how many new users we were able to acquire as a result of that initiative and then turn into some of our most loyal customers. And so, you know, I would say just really being able to have the, the trust from the organization to build these different strategies and initiatives and teams um, and really create that, again, from the ground up. Uh, was a big reason that I stayed. And, and like I, I mentioned earlier, we really considered ourselves a family, especially when we start, when I started at, you know, such a small organization and saw it grow, being able to maintain that culture that we started with was so vital to the overall organization um, over time. And so, again, that, that speaks volumes in terms of the leadership and how they were able to continue to cultivate that. So when you talk about culture and, and talking about women in startups, having that autonomy was a huge thing for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think being able to to be given a problem and the autonomy to tackle it and really test and learn, test and fail and learn and test again, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of startups have that mentality, but they don't necessarily um, up-level their employees to do that. And so 
you know, I had never been part of an organization that really allowed me to, to do something like this, not only have my full-time role, but launch something as a passion project on the side, uh, like Rethink Pink. Um, I, I just could not have imagined doing that anywhere else. So awesome. So thinking about that, and obviously I'm sure that it was never always sunshine and lollipops when you were working for seven years at Box. Talk to me about a time we had a project where you're like, there is no way I'm figuring this out, and then you did. Yeah, you know, I think in um, I, the past few years, especially during COVID, it became really difficult to um, or it was challenging uh, to continue to create marketing programs and strategies for our brands um, because the marketing dollars were just no longer there. We saw, you know, the majority of our brand partners pull back their marketing budgets, and that is what my team especially relied on from a revenue standpoint. And so that was really difficult in the beginning. Um, we didn't know how we were going to overcome that, um, but we did. And we did so through really working closely with a lot of our long tail, smaller brands. Um, up until that point, we had relied so much on probably you know 10 of our biggest brands that represented the majority of our revenue from a marketing standpoint. And when we started really focusing on the smaller players and the smaller brands that may not have had, you know, huge marketing budgets like these other brand partners did. Um, but once we were able to really focus on them, you know, those little brand dollars added up and we were, yeah. And, and we were able to essentially match what we had been doing with our larger brand partners. And so I think just being able to, to, be creative um, and really lean in with smaller players that didn't necessarily have all those marketing dollars that the bigger guys did, um, but creating, you know, custom proposals for them and really being able to show, show growth in their business was able to unlock more dollars down the line. Really cool. And, you know, I think it's – I think this is like so refreshing to hear about one, having the autonomy, but two, being able to problem solve. Cause I think that there is just like intimidation about why, especially women in startups don't stay. And so it's a testament to like where you were able to kind of set up for success and to thrive when you were at Box over those seven years because folks, you know, believe in what you were able to do and then you delivered. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's true. And like that's the key here. It's like if you give folks the opportunity to actually go out there and do their do the damn thing, they'll do the damn thing. Like that's all you really need. Right. Um, yeah. And and when you're thinking about all that work, like go ahead and achieve it. Now let's take it back. What would you tell 21 year old Natasha thinking about everything you've you've gone through in your career today? Yeah, you know, I think I, I would tell her that you don't have to have everything figured out. And, you know, your like your life will change so much. You'll go through so many ups and downs, successes and failures that at the beginning of your career, you don't have to have it all figured out. You're, you'll get there. I don't know that I still have it figured out today, but I feel really proud of what I've been able to accomplish thus far. And so 
I, I think so many young folks, especially at the start of the career, feel like they need to know exactly what they want to do, you know, whether that's societal pressure or, or pressure from their families, um, and that, you know, they have to receive a certain type of education and get that first, you know, high-paying job. Otherwise, they are not going to amount to anything. Um, and that is absolutely untrue. I've changed, you know, throughout my experiences, I've, I've changed my career path, um, my focus, what I'm passionate about countless times. And it's, it's what, you know, led me to where I am today, where I feel very comfortable in my expertise and what I want to do and what I'm passionate about. Um, and so, yeah, I would tell 21-year-old Natasha, like, take your time. You don't need to have everything figured out. Yeah, so the race is not put swift, and you'll be fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> still, I think it's racing to have everything figured out by the time we're 25. We'll be done. Oh, my God, we'll be done. <laughs> it's like, it it's the road is the fun part. Like, yeah. it's key about this journey along the way is the most important part. 100%. And so how as you're working into your like next side of the universe and taking your talents to do something unique and different, where do you want to be? Yeah, you know, I think being able to launch the Rethink Pink initiative as a side passion project and really whet my appetite in terms of women's health um, and, you know, organizations that are really focused on you know, the greater good and are mission driven. And so that's definitely something that has, has whet my appetite and has really led me to, you know, to understand what I seek in my next role. Um, it has to be an organization that's focusing on solving a problem. And ideally, you know, in the women's health space, there's so many incredible brands that have launched um, that are really focusing on prenatal, postnatal, postpartum, menopause, um, that haven't really, that hasn't really been a focus, you know, up until recently when it has come to healthcare. And I think there's so much opportunity in that space. And it, I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. And I want to be part of it. Oh, you totally will. I got friends for days to introduce you to. You all know who you are. You'll be getting an email soon. Um, but I think it's but I think it's really interesting because right at this moment, I think we're at this unique confluence of women's health being brought to front and center and folks being activated around it, but also slowly folks are starting to see that there's money to be made here. It's like we're 50% of the population. Right. We spend more money. If you <laughs> actually talk to us, we'd spend our money with you. Uh, and the healthcare space, when I, I think of the things that are just so annoying uh, about women's health on a daily basis where I'm like, why has no one figured this out yet? Like, this is dumb. Like, if you think about what people have to do for mammogram screenings and all the things that go along with that, um, reproductive health services, mental health services, like, there's such a big gaping hole of opportunity there. And the reason we know it's not, hasn't been solved yet, because no one's funding it. 
you know, they'd rather give that to uh, proven, supposedly proven founders who like blow up companies. And then, oh yeah, you did. Here's another couple hundred million dollars. Go ahead, do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, rather than saying, actually, you know what? If we like actually figure out how to make, you know, going to reproductive health appointments much more enjoyable, how is it no one has like, you know? We have the speculum. Like, come on, really? There's all this stuff out there that if you just literally look. I agree. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I I think about you know the stirrups that women have to put their feet in, you know, during a pap smear ultrasound. Um, they're so cold and sterile. Like, let's get some like fuzzy slippers on them. Like, why can't I be comfortable when? I'm being probed, <laughs> you know, like there's, it's just, there, there's so much more, um, that can be done to your point that can make women feel safe and comfortable during like these very challenging moments in their life. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, you're really trying to tell me that you, if I go to a spa, there is a heated bed. Why is there not one for when I go to the doctor? So right. Frozen. So the technology already exists. Y'all know how to do this for when I go to the four seasons to get a massage. So can y'all just do something similar? <laughs> and also, there are heated seats in cars. So again, you can mass produce this stuff because it works in a Ford. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> like, we're really not trying to reinvent the wheel here. But like, looking at the, the landscape of it all, you know, the stickers you get when you go for a mammogram. Really? That's the best y'all can come up with? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I remember my first mammogram last year. I was like, really? Stickers? Is this what you're doing? For real? <laughs> like, there's a, we have a group chat of a few girlfriends of mine, and we literally have had this. Uh, we've all had this same conversation about, did you get your stickers when you went to your mammogram? And you're like, wait, you didn't get your stickers? Why not? And it becomes this thing like, well, maybe you went to someone who wasn't doing what they should have done because you're supposed to get the stickers. Like, that's literally how conversations women are having. Yeah. Uh, like, how, what what your baseline treatment is, whether or not you get stickers for your breast exam. That is yeah. nuts. That's that, that is nuts. I agree. It's just, it's so cold, unpersonalized. Right. Like there's just there's so much opportunity there. Yeah, I know. You know, as, as someone who builds experiences for a living, obviously, I think about this stuff a lot. It's like, how do you make people feel welcome? How do you make people feel good in, in, in moments when they may not feel great? Right. Uh, like, and again, even even the billing conversations, like if you think about it from like a more a purely financial conversation, like that stuff gets brought up to you the minute before we go in to get an exam. Why? Uh, could y'all not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're going through something extremely hard and trying, that's the last thing you want to think about, right? Exactly. Um, it's like, how do you, again, how do you make people feel welcome in a home in healthcare situations when any number of terrible things are going through your mind? And the last thing you want to think about is anything externally. And then they're like, oh, bye. So here's the bill. It'll be $10,000. Like, how, how are you paying them today? I, you know, I mean, um, or come sit in these very cold stirrups. Like, there is all this stuff that I hate the word disrupted, but I think it's more like interrupted. 
Like yeah. we interrupt your lame-ass programming for something better. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Steal it, go for it. <laughs> um, it starts back with something as simple as what the pink tax really is. And fundamentally, it just op- cracks open the egg of all the other infinite opportunities that are available in and around women's health if folks just paid attention. That's right. Yeah. 100%. So obviously, you know, you're on a little bit of a break um, while you're trying to figure out your next great move, which will be fantastic, I'm sure. So what do you do for your self-care? Oh, a lot. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I really uh, prioritize that. I think, you know, as a lot of folks have or should or should, um, you know, post pandemic, I think, you know, we didn't realize how much it really affected us to be separated from our friends and family and and so isolated. Um, But it's really taken a toll. And so I've, I've really, you know, made it um, a point to prioritize my self care. So, you know, I, especially during the summer, I love going to the park with a blanket and a book and just sitting there for hours with myself, um, in a beautiful space, uh, and, you know, reflecting or, or reading, you know, a great read. Um, that's one, one way. Exercise is, is very important to me or, or staying active, not necessarily to, stay fit or lose weight, but for my own sanity, just doing mm-hmm. something to stay active. So um, I love yoga and the Peloton, which was a COVID purchase. <laughs> um, people did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. There's some really great used Pelotons on the market now as, as folks get rid of them. Um, FYI, if you're, if you're looking. <laughs> but um but yeah, no, those are, you know, things that are very important to me. Um, I, I don't feel like myself if I'm not either going to a yoga class or doing Peloton. Um, and then traveling, you know, especially now, Laura, you and I were just discussing our travels over the summer. Um, and that's something that really brings me joy and happiness, being able to explore new places. I, I will eat anything and everything. Um, <laughs> And the, the need for the Peloton. But um, that is, is what's really important to me um, is, is continuing to learn um, through travel. And so I've, I've really made it a point to, to prioritize those things. Uh, awesome. Uh, and really important, like I think I, you're right about it. It's a, the ability to just move no matter what it is. Like, again, yeah. if it's like some stretches, some yoga, walking outside, uh, I I can't tell you how much it, it, it is important to do this because, like, you need some alone time. Like, it's okay to have alone time. I think yeah. sometimes folks are like, wait, well, I, I need to be around groups because it's been with COVID, blah, blah, blah. Like, actually, no, your solitary time is a good is, – is actually just as important as being with other folks because yeah. you need to, like, that unplug, disassociate for a little bit and just, like, be with yourself. Uh, is necessary, especially after the last couple of years we've had. That's right. And and I think that's something that I really came to appreciate through COVID is really focusing on myself, right, and and putting myself first um, and, and really, to your point, being able to, to you know, spend some time, some, some time alone. 
and be okay with that and comfortable with it. Yeah, I think that's what oftentimes folks like, oh my god, if I do that, blah, 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 my thoughts, what would happen? I'm like, you feel yeah, your thoughts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think this is really important. This of putting, you know, putting yourselves first is, you know, obviously the most important aspect of this, best, especially as women in business, that we are trying to serve everybody. Um, and forgetting that, like, if we are not doing the oxygen mask first, then we can't help anybody. Yeah. Uh, so we have to make sure that as we, you know, navigate, you know, these trying times that continue to, to arise, um, we are taking excellent care of ourselves and, you know, putting ourselves first, um, yeah. and prioritizing yeah. our physical and mental health because we only have this one life. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, um, I have one last question. And it is, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? <laughs> um, uh, I have an ask. And I think for anyone, um, whether you're working for yourself or working for someone else, um, I would always recommend um, and persuade folks to stand up for something that they really care about or believe in. Um, you know, that is essentially, essentially the genesis of my Rethink Pink initiative. It was something that was very important to me. Um, and I was able to implement it into our entire organization's culture. Um, and so if there, if there's something that is important to you, if there are certain values that you align with, um, there's always some way to incorporate that into your professional life as well. And you never know what the outcome will be. You could ultimately end up affecting thousands, millions of people um, just by, again, spreading awareness and education and aligning your values with theirs and so that would be my ask that you know always speak your voice speak your mind if there's something that's really important to you that you think could potentially you know have a positive outcome um in your organization i love that speak up please (laughs) (laughs) say something (laughs) yeah turn passions into progress yeah Uh, and you never know where that will end up. Uh, well, Natasha, um, you know, you're already one of my favorite people. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for coming on the show because, you know, your perspective is just so delightfully unique um, because, you know, you've done such amazing work. You're just such a kick-ass marketer because you saw the forest for the trees um, and were able to implement something incredible. So I'm sure the next time you come on the podcast, you'll be the president of like the United States. Um, <laughs> we're stuck in the ones. Um, but ask to take names, but thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Laura. It was such a pleasure. Um, absolutely adore you and, and what you've built. And so I am truly honored to be part of your podcast. Aw, thanks. So we'll put uh, details in the show notes to reach out and connect with you because I'm sure lots of folks want to reach out and connect with you. (laughs) And uh, that is our show.